I have two car payments, four years into a 30-year mortgage, balances on a couple credit cards, plus college for three kids on the horizon, zero savings. I work long hours at a job that I hate, and despite all that, all I get is stress about how I can make more money. I take four pills at night for my back pain. Some days, getting up seems like too much. I struggle with dyslexia, I have high cholesterol, I overeat a little too often. I'm trying to get in shape, but it's never, I mean never enough. My dad died five years ago from cancer. I should have seen him more before he passed. Man, I miss him so much. Everyone expects me to be over it, but it's something that I still deal with daily. I haven't taken my wife on a date in four months. I practically forgot our anniversary. My kids need me when I get home, but it's late. I want to sleep. I spend my weekends at their functions, as if that's enough. All this, and I still resent my family, because I have no time just for me. I can be amazingly selfish. I'm often angry, seemingly, for no reason. I struggle with lustful thoughts, none of which my wife understands. Nor do I, for that matter. I'm good at some things, I'm great at nothing. I had dreams for my work and my family, and I abandoned them long ago. I think I'm a realist, and I come off as a pessimist. I feel restless knowing something is missing. I have too many burdens. They're suffocating. And this is the weight I carry. Good morning, church family. How are you today? I, if there is a kid that is sitting within your realm, well, let's just do this period. Why don't you stand up? Why don't you go find a kid and tell them this right here. I've got a friend and God really loves you. Stand up, go find a child, go find somebody under the age of 18. You tell them, I've got a friend and God really loves you. You know, as you're doing that, <clears throat> I'm just reminded of the importance of knowing a child's name. It is really important to know kids and to know their names. And you know why that is? It does so much for their self-esteem. I encourage you, if you don't know some of our kids, there's no way I can know, Brian can know, we know a lot of them, but there's a lot of our kids. We just, you know, we just, every time we see them, we want to make recognition of them. And I want this to be a place where kids know that they're loved, that God really loves us and that we've got a friend. Amen. That's a big deal. You know, I was talking about parenting and, and being pressed and being stressed. I, I read this statement. It says, if parenthood came with a GPS, it would most, it would mostly just say recalculating. Can you, <laughs> can you? Can you identify with, can you identify with, with that? Meredith and I have been going on, married, going on 35 years, and 22 of those have had children, and I can promise you that not all of those years have, have, have been happy years. They've been happy years, but there have been great moments when there have been tears, not just happy years. Are you with me? And so I don't know if they've got some pictures. Some of you haven't been around that long. The picture, on, on, which would be on my left, 
That's a picture back in 2011 with Caleb, Abby, and Anna, and Meredith and I. We were in Washington for July the 4th, a picture in the center. That's our oldest, Abigail, and her husband, Landon. <laughs> they will have been married four years this June. Time flies, doesn't it? Good gracious. And here's our professional selfie photographer, Caleb, getting a selfie with us on Anna, Anna's senior trip. And uh, we're on the tail end of this journey when it comes to getting them out of the house. We, we only have a few more weeks left. Amen. And then Anna graduates. And then somebody said, what are you going to do? I said, Meredith, and I are going to have fun. That's what we're going to do. We did not raise them to keep them in the household. But, uh, but anyway, uh, you see the smiles on those pictures. But I promise you, the journey has not always been easy. As a matter of fact, parenting can be the greatest joy, but can also be some of the greatest challenges, right? Some of you are like going, you have no earthy idea. Well, yes, I, yes, I do. But regardless of the season that we find ourselves in in the parenting journey um, or whatever condition we might find ourselves in, whether it be parenting, grandparenting, it was Paul that said this, and I think it's applicable for us today. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. When it comes to parenting, the scripture has a lot of principles that we can follow. But before we get to them, I'd like to just give you two things that I think that are really important. Can I do that? These are just off the cuff, and then we're going to get, but these, these are really applicable. Number one, I want to tell you this, it takes a village to, require, uh, to raise a child. Parenting requires a village. You can't, do, you can't do it on your own. That old saying, it, it takes a village to raise a, tri- a child is very, very true. Um, I saw a coffee cup the other day. I know you guys will get tickled. It, it said this, I hear it takes a village to raise a, child's, a child. Will they show up at the house or is there a number to call? I'm ready to drop mine off. The, the, the parenting journey is so much easier when you're surrounded by people that are walking along the journey with you. Uh, amen. When we walk through the difficult times is the times, I don't know why we do this, but the natural tendency is to draw away and to sort of move off to the side and isolate ourselves. And that's the last thing that needs to happen in our lives. We, we need to embrace wherever it is that we are and we need to surround ourselves with the village because we need the village. There's no greater investment that I know of that we can make than to invest in the life of a child, not only yours, but others as well. Meredith and I have had the blessing of not only walking with our children, but over the 35 years of marriage to be able to walk with other people's children. Um, and I, I can't tell you, um, and there are many of you, your, our village has, has been so faithful in encouraging our kids, whether it's been sending an email, a text, a, a phone call, or a, a gift, or just a note uh, uh, over these years. And it means an awful lot. And Meredith and I have had the privilege of being able to do the same. And we are supposed to take every opportunity we can to make the most of that opportunity to impact not only the lives of our children, but the lives of other, others. It takes a village I know here's Paul and he's writing to Timothy and I know what, what, it, what it applies to and what the context is, but I think it also applies here for us as a church family. And listen to what Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those within their own household, or we could say church family, it's really important, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than non-believers. Listen, it's important. Children are important to us. 
Not just because they're the church of tomorrow, but listen, they are the church of today. On a camera, there's a child. On a camera, there's a child. In the back, running sound and, and helping with, uh, with the uh, media stuff, there's children. There's children on stage. They're the church of today, people, not tomorrow. And we need to do everything that we can to accentuate and to bring that about so that one day when they get to be an adult, they aren't some people like they're afraid to participate, but they've learned it. It's part of their DNA growing up that they feel part of the church and the church family. And it just takes a village. The second thing that I want to say is this, the, the perfect parent is nothing more than a, than a myth. Turn to the person next to you that is an adult and say, the perfect parent is a myth. I can tell you that because out of personal experience. Now, I know there are some of you guys that may think that you're perfect, but <laughs> you're not the perfect parent, okay? Uh, there are so many different things. I, I, maybe, maybe you've been in a situation where you've been out in public and you've seen an, uh, uh, something happening between an adult and child, and you go, I, I, can, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right now. <laughs> and you're not talking about the child, you're talking about the adult, right? And you've, maybe you've said this, if that were my kid, let me tell you what I would be doing. You ever done that before? Oh, you unwise person. How many times has that come back to bite you at some point in time? Or before, before kids, I had no clue. See, Meredith and I, we didn't have kids for the first 12 years of marriage. And so I would get into, I would, I would get into the car of, of, of parents that had children, okay, and you're thinking, I mean, can't they at least clean their car at least once a year, you know? <laughs> or, or the thing that, don't you know that every man's dream is to own a van? <laughs> and then when you get in that van, you go, what is that God-awful smell? <laughs> Multiple times, yeah. Making my way through the McDonald's uh, uh, bags and the Chick-fil-A bags and the Chick-fil-A sauces to find a, uh, a sippy cup in the back that's curdled that would, that would stunk bad enough to kill a skunk. Are you with me? Yes. And while you're back there, you're thinking, what happened? I mean, there's, there's McDonald's fries and there's open Chick-fil-A sauce packages. There's, there's gum and gummy bears and, uh, and suckers that are half eaten that are stuck to the carpet. Yes, I, 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 I'm thankful I don't have those days right now. But, but I, I, I remember, um, I, I get it. Listen, you're going to make mistakes just like Meredith and I have. And we need to remind ourselves that, that we aren't perfect when it comes to parenting, but we have a Father who is perfect, right? We have a Heavenly Father that is perfect. Um, you know, we talk about perfection. We talk about, you know, the, the, the time that you lock your child, your baby in the car with the car running and the keys in the car. All right, or the time that you lose your child off someplace, you're at a theme park, and all of a sudden, in the midst of the crowd, you can't find your your kids, or the time that that you correct your kids for something, and they say to you something along this line, "But Daddy, you always do that. Why can't I?" That old saying, you know, what, what's the old saying? Don't do what I do, do what I. Oh, you've heard that too, haven't you? But regardless of the fact we aren't perfect, there's, when those times that we mess up, we need to be reminded of some things 
that we have a heavenly Father and that he is with us. We need to be reminded of, of God's presence. Psalms 145.18 says the Lord is close to all who call on him. And in those times, those times that we blow it as parents, we need to be reminded of God's presence and that he's there for those of us that are willing to call out to him, to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, we, we need you. In, in those times that you feel like quitting, in those times that you feel like running away, that God hasn't left us, that he's, that he's there. And we can not only experience his presence, but we can also experience God's peace. And we'll tell you, in the parenting, in the parenting realm, during those parenting, those parenting years early on, and, and we'll talk about this, the parenting never stops. But early on in those times when there's a lack of peace, I want you to know that, that God provides for us peace. In Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And as well, not only God's presence and his peace, but also his power. I go back and read the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead that seated him in the right, in the place of honor of God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And if God can bring the dead to life, don't you think that he can handle whatever situation it may be that we may be facing as parents? And so I just, I wanted to hit those things. Number one, it takes a village. It requires a village. Parenting is very important. And also, I just want to remind you the fact that, that the, the thoughts that you have of the perfect parent, it's a myth. None of us are perfect. All of us are sinners and we desperately need Jesus. So with, with those thoughts in mind, what I'd like to be able to do over the next few minutes, I'd like to give you some principles that I feel like come from God's word that will help us as we interact and as we raise up the next generation. And first and foremost, I want you to write this down someplace. God loves our kids more than you do. I want you to write that down. God loves our kids more than we do. I don't, I don't know how many times that I've had to remind myself or Meredith and I have to have a conversation or I've had to remind other parents about this truth because when we remember that, it helps lighten the load that we so many of us so many times bear. Um, if you've been around Heritage for any amount of time, maybe you've heard this passage of Scripture, Psalms 127.3. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. We've, we've always been sort of uh, close to the NIV translation. We've sort of hung on to that because when it, it uses the word heritage, that they being children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And, and this, this was one of the verses that helped us when we were forming and thinking about the name and how to name Heritage Community Church because it also not only helped us in that, but it also reminds us and clarifies for us, identifies us the role of parenting, that God has entrusted us with children, with our children, the children that he's given us, and that they are a gift. They aren't ours, though. They're his. They're his. And we are to be a good steward of that gift. Talking about the responsibility and opportunity, look at Psalms. Turn to Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 78, just for a second. I want to give you a chance to turn there. I'm going to go through a lot of different verses. This is also a verse that we've used many times here in our church family in Psalm 78, verses 4 to 8. And this is what the psalmist writes for us. That we will not hide these truths, the truths of God's word, from our children, but we will tell the next generation we will tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord. You know, it's easy to forget about the great things that God has done. 
It's important that we keep the things in front of our kids and remind them and tell them the stories of the things that God has done. He says about his power and about his mighty wonders. I can't tell you how many times we've sat around the table and talked about the things that God has done, specifically in the early days of heritage and how God provided for us. They're stories that, that, that are etched into the hearts of our souls, reminding us of the faithfulness of God. It said, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. Even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Why? Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn and rebellious and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. You know, it's funny because I don't see academics and I don't see sports anywhere on this list. Do you? I don't. But it's easy to get our priorities messed up, especially inside of the world in which we, we live. But regardless of what the culture says, we're to make the most of every opportunity and even create opportunities so that our kids have an opportunity to know Jesus and to know him personally. Not only our children, but also grandchildren. It's a side note. So let's just say, and I'll rephrase this in the form of a family. Let's say that you were uh, arrested and that you were put on trial for being a follower of Christ, a believer. And let's just say that your children, your spouse, um, those that were closest to you in, in the family context, were, were, they were brought to the, to the witness stand to give evidence and testimony about your faith. Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus if those closest to you that knew you best were questioned. Pretty interesting, huh? I want to remind you that we aren't the owner, but we're the steward. We're the manager of the master's assets. And the faster we see that and the, and the faster we come to that conclusion, the easier this journey in parenting is. So God loves our children more than we do. I want you to never forget that. The second thought I want you to hear is this. We must parent with purpose. Now, Brian's going to come back, and he's going to talk about this a little bit more in depth in a few weeks uh, on Mother's Day. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. And there in that passage, we read the words, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as a reminder and write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. To, to simplify, we're to be pur very purposeful and intentional when it comes to raising our children to know, chil to know Jesus. Not just our children, but our grandchildren. Our intent should be pointing our, our um, children to Jesus. Moses would say this back in chapter 5, that he was only passing on what God had given to him, and we are to do the same. But yet we can't pass on that which we've not received. That should be an oh me. We can't pass on something that, that we ourselves haven't received. We aren't the perfect parent, but we can be very intentional 
and we can be very purposeful. Some of you think we think purposeful and say, I don't have time to be purposeful. Good gracious, I'm just trying to put food on the table, clothes on their back, and a roof over their, over their head. But the passage here isn't meant to stress us out. The passage is just meant to, be in, to give us a sense of direction, what we are to do, the steps that we are to take. Listen to what I've given you. Give it to them that you love. Don't just tell them what they should do and how they should do it. Live it. Set an example for them. Not just on Sundays, but set an example for them throughout the week. Proverbs 22.6, maybe you've heard this. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're old or they will not leave. Some translations say train up a child, and that should be our goal. Raising up our children to know Jesus. And you know, one of the ways to do that, to be intentional, is to bring them to a gathering like this today. Another way to, to train up and be purposeful is to, be, to take advantage of the opportunities like, like summer camps and things that, that we provide, that we are able to take your kids off and to spend that time with them. Other things are um, you know, hanging out with families and other families and spending your time talking about Jesus, but there's so much more that we can do, but we are to be purposeful as parents. Purposeful as parents by praying to and for our children, praying with and for our children. Not just when they're a teenager and they're struggling, okay? That's usually when you start seeing parents show up when the kids are struggling. Hey, listen, Pastor, I got a problem with my kids. Can you help me out? Got to have some prayers. Listen, man, that starts way back at the beginning before they've ever been birthed, amen? Yes. And we need to be praying with and for our children. We need, we need to enlist other people to pray for us as parents and our, and, and our children. We need to be active in praying for other people's children. Going back to that thought of it takes a village. Listen, just because you don't have a child maybe in your home doesn't mean that you shouldn't be very intentional and purposeful in being a part of that village and raising a child so that they come to follow Jesus, know Jesus, and to give their life to him. Amen? That should be a bigger amen, people. Come on. I mean, every one of us should understand the important role that we have of raising up this next generation. But it's really easy sometimes just to turn ahead and say, I don't want that, you know. Especially when you got a kid that's cutting a fool. I'm really drawn to those kids because I've got a father and I know he really loves me. Even in the bad times, God really loves me. So we should be able to create opportunities for our children to be exposed and immersed in God's word. We should read God's Word, not only for ourselves, but we should read it with our kids. Our kids should have a copy of God's Word, something that's designed for their age. We should talk about God's Word. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses talked about the commands that the Lord had given the nation of Israel, and he gave them so that they could be passed down by teaching them, by impressing upon them, leaving a mark on their lives. To talk about God's Word in the morning when you got up and throughout the day and at night, in all those opportunities, Meredith and I always, always try to make, take, make the most of those opportunities to talk to our kids, not about just right and wrong, but what about what God's Word has to say about those issues. Meredith used to, um, when she would take the kids to school, there was a season that, that all the kids were riding with Meredith when they would go and she had to drop them off. And if she didn't do it, it was me dropping them off at all the places. And I remember... I remember when all of a sudden when we had, when Abby got her driver's license and then Abby wasn't riding and then she could also help. And Meredith said, you know, I never realized the significance of that car time because once that car time was gone, I lost that 
intentional opportunity of talking to my kids for that 30 minutes that we were, we were in the vehicle, not only on the way to school, but on the way, on the way back. Notice the urgency and the timing. Did you see that? Because we may have those opportunities early on that we may not have them later down the line. Are you with me? Notice the urgency, young parents, parents of young children. Memorize, memorize, memorize the word. The psalmist said that I've, uh, that I've hidden God's word in my heart that I may not sin against you early on. You've heard the story. I've told Abby she was afraid of the dark. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. And we've, we've taught them the Ten Commandments. And I remember Meredith and singing the songs, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, dude, teaching them. The, I don't even know all the books of the Bible in order. But here's Meredith teaching the kids about how to memorize the books of the Bible so that they could, whatever they were at, they could always go back and, and pinpoint them out. The passage of Scripture in Psalms 119.105, that God's Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that in those moments and times that I don't know which way to go, man, listen, God's, God's Word is there providing a direction for us to be able to take. And our kids should know God's Word. So in those moments and times when the devil's pressing in and he's speaking those those, uh, those, that stinking thinking is trying to slip in. They can go back to God's word and know the truth of God's word and what it says when somebody tells them, you're stupid, you're a loser, and you go, oh, no, I'm not. My daddy loves me, and I've got a good father. I've got a good father. We can be assured that God is with us in those moments and times that we feel like he's abandoned us because we know what God's word has to say, so we're supposed to read God's word and to talk about it and to memorize it, but we're also supposed to live it out, parents. I happen to believe, I happen to believe that what our kids see us do is just as important or more important than what we tell them to do. So many times, it's off the cuff. We want to spend our time telling our kids what they should do and how they should live. And they don't see it in us as an example. You know, how many times do we tell our kids, well, you need to treat them better. And yet sitting around the table or sitting in the house at night, they hear us as parents maybe talking about other people and gossiping about other people and talking wrongly about other people. And yet we're telling them, we're telling them they should be kind and they should be generous and they should be forgiving and they shouldn't hold on to bitterness and they should overlook. And yet Listen to what they hear us say so many times. We are to set an example, not just tell our kids, but we are to show them how to live and to live out God's word, that we should be a living example. Then quickly, I just want to say this. Relationships are important. Romans 10, Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says this, to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. I heard something one time several years ago, and it really bothered me. It bothered me an awful lot, but it taught me something. Pastor said, you need to tell them they need to respect me. They need to honor me. And I thought to myself, you know, once they leave your home, they don't have to call. And they don't have to come back. Are you with me? Our relationships with our kids are very important. I didn't raise my kids to hold on to them. 
I raised them to let them go, but I promise you this, man, I love it when I get a phone call about every day. I get a phone call, I get a text, hey, Dad, can you help me? Dad, you need this right here? And sometimes it's not because they need something, it's just the fact they want to talk. That's a privilege. Because when they leave the home, they don't have to call. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Your relationship is important. And buying them a new car is not necessarily what's needed. Buying them something to, to, you know, is not necessary. What I'm talking about is a relationship where they, it's a safe place, that your home is a safe place, and they know that you love them, and they know that you care. George Burns said this, love is a lot like a backache. It doesn't show up on an x-ray, but you know it's there. Some of you were raised in homes where you weren't always told that you were loved, but you knew that you were loved, didn't you? Yeah, it's that generation. Talking about relationships, we're blessed to have the staff that we have. We're blessed to have the staff that work with children and students that we have. You have a staff that loves your kids. You have a staff that cares about your kids, and they're, they're not here to do it for you. They're here to, long, to walk alongside of you. The church is not the discipling agent of your children. The home is. You have been given the responsibility, not the church, to raise up children of faith. The home is the place that our children are raised. I want to finish up with this four T's of parenting really quickly. Time. Time, time is important. Some kids need more time than others, but what they need is our availability, whatever that looks like. Second thing is touch. Appropriate physical touch is important to our kids. It's a whole lot easier when they're, when they're younger, but it's still important as they grow up. You know, Caleb, Caleb was the touch kid in our family. He always wanted to wrestle, you know. I always wanted to, or daddy, wrestle, you know, daddy, wrestle. And I could lay on him. He's like, stop, please, I can't breathe. <laughs> Son, would you stop? As soon as I let him go, you done? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I let him up. He back at it again, you know. He, you know, the girls this, this day, you know, uh, the hugs, sometimes it's just the holding of hands, whatever it may be. Touch is so important. You know, that's hard in the world we live in, isn't it? shouldn't be that way. It's not the way God designed it. I will always touch my kids and I will always hold my kids' hands and I will always hug my kids' neck and I don't have a problem with that at all. Sad that we live in a world the way it is. The second, third thing is talk. Call, text, FaceTime, instant message. Man, it's so much easier than having to write a letter and wait two weeks for it to get there. So immediate these days, instantaneous. We should look for opportunities to have meaningful conversations or either create those opportunities to have them, to look for open doors to have conversations about God's Word and also how to apply it to everyday life, to be vulnerable with our kids about the mistakes that we've made. Anybody ever made, any adults ever made any mistakes? We need to be honest with them. It's humbling, but it can be very productive. Be willing to listen as much as talk. The fourth thing is this, tenacity, tenacious. Don't you dare give up. Don't you, don't you dare ever give up on your kids because they've made a mistake or they're in the habit of making mistakes. Don't you dare quit. 
but be committed as a parent to long view parenting because change is a process. It's not just an event. And the goal of us as parents shouldn't be necessarily controlling behavior, but rather seeking after the heart and seeing life change become because they come to know the one who brings change. Our kids need to know that we're for them, regardless of what they may face. They're going to make dumb choices just like you, but they need to know that we're for them. Our homes, like I said earlier, should always be a safe place. Going back to the story of of Nehemiah in the Old Testament in 586, Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple, the city, the walls around the city, everything was destroyed. The Israelites that were left alive, they were they were exiled off to Babylon, to Babylon, and 70 years later, just had been prophesied, they were allowed to come back and to rebuild. Um, and so they started the process. Nehemiah got word what had taken place, and the Bible says that he mourned and he, and he wept. I want to stop just for a second and ask you this question. Does it burden you? Does it bother you? Is there a sense of urgency when you look at where things are at today in reference to our kids, culture, and family? I mean, are you broken because of, of, of what you see happening in and around us, the things that our kids are facing, the sense of isolation, the sense of violence, substance abuse, low self-esteem, the suicide rates, the sense of hopelessness, and not just our kids, but families in general. Are you, are, you, are you broken? Are you overwhelmed? Do you find yourself weeping and mourning over some of the issues that, that we're facing today? Well, the Bible says when Nehemiah found out, he went to the Lord in prayer. And so the Lord prepared the heart of Nehemiah, and he traveled back to Jerusalem with the intent to rebuild the wall. In doing so, he faced opposition. And in the midst of that opposition, this is what we read in Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 14, he said, Then I looked over the situation and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and he said to them, Don't you dare be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. Remember the Lord and be willing to fight. Be fight, not ignore. Not run away, but fight. Not against names and not against faces and not against political parties, against, but against powers and principalities and rulers of this dark world. Amen? There's a battle that wages for our kids, and we have to fight. But not fight as the world would fight, but we fight how? On our knees. Ephesians 6, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against almighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are at war and we're under attack. And we have to be serious and we have to be intentional when it comes to raising our children. And setting the pace for the next generation. We have to. We have to fight for the hearts of our kids. We have to not just bring them to church. We have to show them what the church looks like. We have to not just tell them about Jesus. We have to show them what Jesus looks like. Amen? 
And yet so many times what we do is we say, no, you just learn from somebody else. I think I've got a picture of an olive tree up here. I don't know if there is one. That's, a, that's an old, old olive tree. Some say it's the oldest living olive, olive tree in the world, at least 2,000 years old. In other words, going all the way back to the times of Jesus. There are some scientists that say that that olive tree is between three and 4,000 years old. Still bears olives. What's interesting about an olive tree is it may take five to 10 years to produce fruit, but before it does, the roots are going down in preparation for that time that it will bear fruit. I want you to listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 128. How joyful are those who fear, who fear the Lord. All who follow in his ways, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like the fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your, your table. That's the Lord's blessings for those who, who fear him. You know, sometimes we don't always see the fruit early on in raising our children, but you got to be tenacious. Tenacious. You got to continue to hold on and continue to pour in with them as their roots are going down in hopes and in preparation and, 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 the, and the, the anticipation that one day they themselves will bear fruit. But in that time, don't get discouraged and don't get overwhelmed. But you may say, but Sid, I got kids that are struggling or I got grandkids that are, that are struggling. What do I do? And I would say to you, man, don't quit. Don't hold, don't, don't hold back. But recognize that you're in a fight. Stay the course. Be, continue to be tenacious. And continue to, to practice the principles that we've talked about today. To remember those things because they're very important. And don't try to do it on your own. Man, and get with your village. And say, man, I'm going through this. Will you pray with me? Will you walk with me during this season and time? And so what I thought we would do today is this. Because in just a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. But before celebrating the Lord's Supper, I thought, you know, it would be good time just to be a, for there to be a, a moment of quietness for us to pray because we are in a battle. For us to recognize that, that there is a battle that wages and, and man, the devil is not happy at all. And he wants to do anything he can, not only to destroy our kids, but to distract them. He wants to move them away from the things of the Lord. And as we as parents and we as a church, grandparents, adults, period, we've got a responsibility. And we need to be intentional in what we do. And so just in a, in a time of prayer, I wanted us to be able to take a time in silence. And there where you are, and maybe it's in families, maybe it's a husband and wife, maybe it's as a senior adult. And it may, be, it may require you getting up and going to somebody to say, man, you've just been on my mind and I want you to know that I'm here for you. As a, I, I want to be part of your village. And I don't really know what this is going to look like, but we've got a couple of minutes that we can do that. I wanted it just to be a, a time of prayer, praying for families, praying for families that are struggling, uh, praying for, for kids that may be not only just struggling in life, but maybe wrestling with their faith. Um, and I, and I just wanted it to be sort of an organic time. Maybe it's there just a place of quietness that you just want to pray. And I just want to give you an opportunity for a couple of minutes just to do so. Maybe you want to grab your kids and say, hey, kids, can I just pray with you for a second? Is your father, I, I've maybe not been as, as effective of a prayer for you, but I want, to, I want you to know that I'm here 
And, and I want to be the daddy that God's called me to be. And so for a couple of minutes, just want to, however you want to do this, we're going to open it up for just a time of prayer here in this congregation and for those online. And then when we come back, I, I want to, to lead us in a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. So Father, would you be with us in this time? May, may it be significant as we lift our prayers to you today, uh, coming to you, crying out to you for hope, uh, for peace, and for stamina in this journey of parenting. In Jesus' name, you can pray. Father, would you hear the prayers of your people? Lord, I pray that we would be very intentional when it comes to, to our children and passing down the laws and decrees, the things that you've taught us to our children, that we'd be faithful in that process. Help us to make the most of every opportunity that we have. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask if the lights would come up for a second and we want to have the opportunity here in just a minute to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family and we have the privilege of recognizing this going back and it was Jesus himself that instituted the Lord's Supper back 2,000 years ago when he was in that upper room it was at that time that that Jesus himself would institute this as a way for us to be able to remember his sacrifice and his suffering that he would eventually endure not long after that meeting. And so sometimes the question is asked, you know, Pastor said, who is it that celebrates the Lord's Supper? And the answer to that is those of us that are followers of Christ, those of us that have asked Jesus to be Lord of our lives. And, and you as fathers and mothers this morning have the ability to, to, uh, to, to navigate that with your children today. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never made a decision to follow him, you're just welcome to sit quietly this morning and watch and, and observe what takes place. But I have to ask the question, what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of your life? As the uh, elements are being passed out in just a few minutes, there's going to be a time that Caleb will be playing like he is now. And the Bible says that we're to examine our lives, we're to go before the Lord before partaking of the Lord's Supper, to examine our lives, to ask, is there... Is there an area of my life that I'm missing the mark? Is there some unconfessed sin that needs to be taught that I need to go before the Lord? Is there a relationship that broken that, that's broken that needs to be re reconciled? 
And so in just a second, I'm going to ask you to go before the Lord and examine your lives. The ushers will be passing out the the bread and the juice in just a minute. If you'll just hold on to those elements when you receive them at the end, we'll all partake of them together. But in the meantime, would you just go before the Lord, examine your lives, and when they're done, at that moment in time, we'll, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. Going back to Paul's instructions in his letter to the Corinthian church, it was Paul that said, For I received from the Lord what also I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It goes on to say that in the same way after supper that he took the cup saying, this is the cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Paul goes on to say that whenever we eat of the bread and drink of the cup that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes because Jesus is coming back, amen? And so as believers, we have the responsibility to be faithful. And one of those opportunities we have, one of the responsibilities we have is to be faithful in the home, to be faithful in the home, to raise up the next generation. Because our hope isn't in a word. Our hope is in the word, Jesus. Amen? And that's why we celebrate today. But you know, I'm reminded we can't pass on that which we haven't received. And there's some... There may be some of you listening to my voice today that there's a conflict, there's a tension in your life and you're struggling. You're struggling because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, man, listen, when we finish up here in just a minute, I, I just, 
man, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about the difference that Jesus has made in my life. I don't want to talk to you about religion, and I don't want to talk to you about a bunch of stuff. I just want to talk to you about Jesus, the person, because I promise you, Jesus makes a difference. No Jesus, no change. No Jesus, no change. Would you bow with me today? Father, in the presence of our time, we're privileged today to to be able to recognize that one of the pressures that we face inside of our culture, inside of this time frame is, is, is parenting and raising children. And inside of that that journey in raising our children, there's there's just the stresses that come along, and you know there's that that pressure to perform, uh, pressure to produce, but to recognize and and to live out and to hold on to some of the principles today brings a lot of freedom for us. It takes a lot of weight off our shoulders, especially when we recognize it. It takes a village, and Lord, <laughs> not only that, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Father, and I'm reminded of your son, your your first children and Adam and Eve and how they rebelled against you and how that must have broken your heart. Father, I'm I'm thankful today for the privilege we had of, of having a village like this community that we have, that we realize that the opportunities of of partnering with one another and raising up the next generation help us to be faithful in doing that. May we be challenged to leave here with something that's going to prompt us to be more faithful in taking advantage of the opportunities and telling our children about Jesus, to walk alongside of them, not just to tell them all the things that they're doing wrong, but to point them towards the one who is right, reminding them of God's love and that he's a good, good father. Fathers, we walk out these doors, help us to, help us to, to infiltrate this community in such a way that, that uh, we, we leave an impression that others would see Jesus in us, and as a result, their hearts would be pricked and want to be know, want to be know more about a relationship with Jesus. I pray that we would be faithful ambassadors of yours in this world in which we live. Bless us now as we leave. May we take, take with us the sacrifice this morning that we have celebrated, the suffering that you gave on your behalf. And Father, may we be reminded of that as we walk out these, these doors to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.